just grab them in the brisket. So, uh, John, I, I've been noticing the kids, and I'll include Alden and Matt's li- listening along, but they really have been tearing up and down this street. They've been finding mud pits. I, I saw Freddy. Bricks. The bricks. I saw Freddy dragging a huge container just down the street. I'm like, I, I saw what, that. What I don't even know doing? where it went. What, I don't what, know where it went. What are the kids doing, John? I don't know, but Maddox has come home the last three days covered head to toe in mud. I mean, not like, oh, he stepped in a mud puddle. No. I'm talking like he wallowed in that thing like a pig. Well, I saw in between Roy <laughs> and his neighbor to the left. Yeah. More probably on the neighbor's property. Yep, I noticed this. It is a mud pit. It's a big one. It's huge. It's probably like three inches of water just standing there. Yeah, like I want to go drive my truck in that thing. Just back it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just like, yeah. A little just, rooster tail. Just gun it. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, this is also the neighbor, and I won't go into. It. Maybe I shouldn't. No, I guess I will. Yeah, you I should. I better get into it because hey, you shouldn't be mean or nasty to people. And so probably a couple of years ago, this particular neighbor, she was uh, at her house, had every window open in her house, two story, every window just open. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. I mean, Emma was probably about maybe three, so it's about seven years ago, three I or four. Here. Yeah, so. We were just taking a stroll around the neighborhood, me and Emma, and we get around uh, over there by where Roy lives, where this, this particular person lives on our street, and they, they have a huge garden in front of their house, mm-hmm. and it's different bushes and plants and flowers and stuff like that. Whatever they are, they attract monarch butterflies. So this whole bush plant was just loaded up with caterpillars, just like crawling everywhere. Some had already started to cocoon. So I'm like, and it caught my eye, and I'm like, holy shit. I mean, Emma, look at the look at the caterpillars. And there might have been butterflies as well flying around. I was like, look at the butterflies. You know, a three-year-old girl. I mean, boom, her world just lit up. She's like, holy crap. Look at It's almost like a, if people experience the Moody Gardens, right? the, the butterfly exhibit. It's it's like that, but it maybe a scaled-down version. It was maybe only like well, 10 butterflies. <laughs> maybe, maybe slightly skilled, but not much. Right, right, right. Just... just not much. And so it's probably maybe about two feet from the sidewalk. So, and then I got her in the bushes, probably maybe about maybe three feet tall. Uh, maybe not even that. And I got my daughter's hand and I'm holding her. She's like, and she's just like, dad, butterflies. And she just super wholesome, just great moment, memory. Also like, hey, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, what? What are you doing? What? What are you doing? I'm like, I'm no, I'm sorry. I mean, she's like, get out of here. I'm like, the neighbor's yelling at you. The neighbor's yelling. And you're on the sidewalk? I'm on the sidewalk. She's like, get out of here. Oh, she thinks you're a peeping Tom. Yeah. So, yeah, she's yelling at me. Uh, she thinks I'm like a peeping Tom. And I, I got my daughter's hand, and I'm like, uh, come on, babe. Let's just keep walking. She's like, no, butterfly, butterfly. I'm like, no, let's just keep walking. She's like, you get out of here. Go on. And I'm like. All right, lady, I'm out. I'm leaving. <laughs> Crazy Bye. Lady. And she, I take about two, three steps, and she can see my daughter. Then I'm like, got it. First, I think I was like, we're just looking at the butterflies. And anyways, so I'm, oh, oh, hey, no, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't see you had a kid there. I'm sorry. I'm like, it's all good. We're good. I'm gonna keep walking. Nobody wants to see your shit ass butterflies, especially when I'm my kid. I'm gonna go home and grow these bushes myself and wait another. 
two years before I can get these actual <laughs> right. butterflies, but thanks for the memories. Actually, I'm pulling your bushes up tonight and <laughs> transplanting them in my yard. They're my butterflies funny. now. <laughs> so everybody's seen Dennis the Menace, right? Like the movie with Walter in it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that plant he has, it's like a 75-year plant, right? Right. The one that finally blooms? Yeah. yeah. You're talking about the movie. The movie. Yeah. Who would ever do anything like that? There's people out there. But for for like 10 seconds? It's a big deal. But yeah. you have to start this when you're 12. Right. Or you buy one from somebody else that died. Right. There. Well, maybe. Hey, right? Maybe. Hey, it's been going for 40 years. Well, don't worry. I'll take the next 30. Or, hey, maybe you got a lot of money. You were like, hey, I'll buy that plane for 50 grand. And then you're like 10 seconds, like it blooms. And you're like, nice. Nice. Yeah. I'm not right. doing any of that. No. And then nobody sees it. You know, obviously in, you know. Yeah, it's the menace's point, but right, they do yeah. have a plant. Uh, I don't know if it's in Houston, but they call it the the rotting corpse. Or yep, it's a plant that is a beautiful flower, but it smells like a rotting corpse. It smells like death. It tracks yeah. flies. That's it tracks flies. Yeah, that's what it's for. It tracks flies. So we actually bought you a couple, John, and we're gonna uh, plant them in your backyard mm. as just a thank you. Mm-hmm. For all the hard work that you do with the grabbing the brisket crew, we appreciate that. The editing, the producing, the uh, just straight up just badassness. Well, can they be potted? I'd put one in my teen's room. My son, it probably cover up the smell that's in there now. <laughs> it might. Like, could, like, man, it smells great in here. <laughs> so much <laughs> better. What an improvement. Did you put some potpourri in here, or <laughs> hmm. I smell no more deceasedness in here. What's going on? That's I funny. like it. I wouldn't even know how to. I mean, obviously. Me growing up as a teen or whatever, but you're you're you have a house full of uh, two teens. Yeah, is yeah. it weird? I mean, uh, a lot of closed doors. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, knocking before you enter. Yeah, I don't I don't want to go too far into detail. Do you? Yeah, I was gonna say let's, yeah. let's not get too yeah, deep. We won't into talk that about one. the loss of hot right. water or anything. <laughs> into uh, no, there's a lot of long long showers. Long showers. Yeah, I'm just trying hey, to keep clean. I take long showers. We like to keep this podcast. We don't need to know about that. Clean. What? No, no, we're not listening about your long showers. Not take long showers. We 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 definitely keep this clean. So for the folks that are listening along, hey, this is a grabbing the brisket podcast. So we kindly appreciate you selecting us and hitting that little play button and just tuning in to see what's going on. Um, If you haven't listened to some of the past episodes, highly recommend to go in back and checking out some of them. Whether it's the ritual tool interview that we did, whether it's the. Dennis Butterworth interview with Warpick Barbecue. There's quite a few stuff that you guys can go back. Jan's Reese's Peanut Butter Cup interview. Yes. No, not interview. Well, I mean the Reese's Peanut Butter interview that you did with the Texas Ranger. Yeah, that's a, if you haven't heard that one, go back and listen. Because that's mm. a classic That's story. a classic. Yeah, episode six, I think, maybe. So. Or maybe uh, or, uh, Alden doing his cabinet hunting. Well, that that, uh, that cabinet still misses wood. I can tell you that. There you go. Or Formica, whatever whatever they built that thing out of. It's still missing. Right. Yeah. Or Alden uh, maybe getting catfished. So, I mean. Maybe getting catfished. Listen sure. listen to the, the, the <laughs> Grabbing the Brisket podcast. You're going to get a whole lot of different stuff, whether it's the, the barbecue knowledge, whether it's just us providing the beer knowledge. Mm-hmm. When I say beer knowledge, it's more just like it's pretty loose. It's loose, very loose. I mean, we we do provide a little science behind it, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's based. It's it's uh, what you call our our personal taste, For our sure. our preference. It is a preference, correct? Yeah. Tonight you're getting a lot of 
barbecue knowledge. Like tonight, a you're going to get a lot of barbecue knowledge. So, it's coming up in a few minutes, and I don't want to tell you when because you're probably just going to jump across and just skip ahead <laughs> to where uh, the interview is going to be. But uh, so we have Jess Pryles coming up in a few seconds. But before we get to that, we got to get a little business out of the way. Alden, go ahead and hit these guys up with the business. What's up, my dudes? There you go. We got the business to take care of, right? Grilling is my business, and business is good, right? That's right. So love it. Here we go, guys. So at Twitter, you know, you know how to find us. So Twitter is at Grab the Brisket. You know, Facebook and Instagram, both one and the same. At Grab them in the brisket. We got a website that's up. It's www. You want to say the W's. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. I like the W. Say the W's. com, And then we also got our email, which is uh, grabbingthebrisket at gmail.com. So, guys, that's how you can reach us. You know, check out our merch. Um, we will interact with you guys as much as, much as we can. We, can. we cannot get to everybody. You know what I mean? Um, but check out the merch. Hey, and just just follow along and just interact with us and you know what we may interact with you nobody knows love it love it Boom. appreciate it i mean solid as always some of the t-shirts that we have out which in case some of you guys don't know haven't looked at it like i don't, I don't know what you're doing you're slacking a little bit you need to go to the website you need to look at the t-shirts that we have the grabbing the brisket logo obviously patterned after um back to the future back to the future thank you we have a couple of other shirts out there that uh, uh, people might find pretty interesting and pr- uh, pretty legit. So check it out. Absolutely. Yeah. Masters of the brisket. My absolute favorite. Masters of the brisket. And it's in the theme of He-Man. Masters of the universe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. I have also, uh, Jay- right here. So there it is right there. Is. Uh, also, you can get recipes and rubs and we should be posting more of those on there. Uh, I think we kind of fall a little bit. Uh, so you'll start to see those recipes and rubs starting to come out, little things we put together. Um, and, and really, it's not so much of like, like, like we're using somebody else's, on maybe some of these, we're, we're going to use somebody else's rubs that we're you know, bringing on or whatever else. We'll say, hey, use this, do it this way. It's going to turn out phenomenal. Um, yeah, that's look for those. Yeah, and if there's a, a rub or something or a sauce or something that you're looking for a go to 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 try out let us know we'll gladly recommend any type of barbecue sauce or rub that we think is good yep. or, exactly good word. better and different i mean we're, we'll try it be honest you know what i mean and we'll be honest with it it's that that's what we do right honesty oh. honesty is the best yep. policy right i feel like we just need to did you did you hear that are we do you know what that uh, means what? did you hear that little popping sound in the back that means it's about to be a what? Ninety second beer That's melt. That just mm. melts. It's like <laughs> hot butter. I mean, I'm sorry, cold butter on a hot pan, yeah. right? And we got a special one tonight. This one is in honor of our guest, Jess Prowls. Yep. Now I didn't ask her if she. I mean, I know she drinks the beer. Of course, I know she does, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one is that she. she when you see her cooking. She'll put one of these up. Like, she wants everybody to know this is what I'm drinking tonight. Yep. So, mm-hmm. tonight we're reviewing 
Lone Star Lone beer. Star beer. Lone Star beer. And I don't know. I think maybe she drinks the the original and the light, but we've got the original here. Get the full flavor. Get the full flavor. The red can. Right. Not to be confused with Lone Star. Red label, baby. Anybody? No. Spaceballs. Spaceballs. There we go. <laughs> Lone Star. So Jan, uh, I mean, obviously, peep out the can and just let the people know what we're looking at. All right. So imagine the most badass can you can see. Right. Uh, this thing is. It's definitely a uh, a Texas beer, right? So it's brewing in Texas since 1884, right there. That tells you right there, this beer's been around for a while. When you, as soon as you look at it, you see the shield and then the Texas star, right? This this Texas star right at the top of it. Um, I love the fact that this is in a 16-ounce can because we're not, we're not bullshitting around, right? This is not some little, you know, um, this ain't some little 12-ounce beer that we're going to, you know, maybe sip for a little bit. And, and then also, on the side of it here, it says, uh, the National Beer of Texas, right? Because we are our own nation. We are, we, we are our own nation. 1884, I did not know that. So that part, I'm like, holy crap. That's, yeah, I, think, I think that's, that's the... Cool. That was a few years ago. Yeah, that's a while back. Right? That's the, a couple years the ago. establishment of Texas, yeah. not the establishment of Lone Star Beer. I don't know, James. I, I think I the Alamo probably Alamo's around that time. I don't know that to be true. So I'm just going to let you know that it says it on the can. I believe it because they're Texans and yeah. they don't lie. This goes to the Treaty of 1884. That's right. So that's when they were brewing That was my this. next guess. Right. They uh, were like, sign this treaty and also start brewing this beer. Yeah. Obviously, if you had your handbook of Texas, when you arrived to Texas, you would know this stuff. Right. Right. But well, if you're born is, here, it's just it's on automatically ingrained into you. You know it. You know it. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just know that it's Fort Worth, Texas. This is a Texas beer, and we're ready to go. So the cool thing about the um, what I used to like about the Lone Stars, the lights, was the bottle caps. They used to have the little um, puzzles, the little puzzles on. That's them, right. Dude. Yes, that shit was cool. Yeah, man. quite familiar yeah. with that uh, when we had uh, our brother-in-law. Yeah, um, he would come over quite often, and, and that's Mr. I think Bennett, he's calm. What is Bennett? I think uh, Bennett still drinks the Lone Star, and yeah. Uh, yeah, always love seeing the puzzles on the. Uh, yeah, those were cool, man. Yep. They were very cool. Yeah, so for those who don't know, get some bottles of Lone Star. Open the beer cap up. Look on the bottom, and there's going to be a puzzle in there. It's almost like a, it's it's a it's a picture, and you put the pictures together to say whatever you're going to say, right? So you're you're just adding all the pictures up. To say like, you know, grabbing so, the brisket to make a awesome, phrase, yeah, right. Or something. So yeah, right. So that's that's kind of how you would like it'd be a, a, a fist grabbing something. It would be whatever a brisket. It would be so. Yeah. Anyways, check that out. It's a little a little wordplay they do, uh, but I'm really really want to try. I mean, I it's been probably three years since I've had a Lone Star, maybe four years. I like the can. I like the badge. Yeah, love the badge. Uh, you can almost see. I don't know where Lone Star got it from, but I know if you look at. Jess Prowls, and we'll talk to her in a second. Her hardcore carnivore has a kind of a badge. It does. Very logo. similar, right? Very similar. Let's try this. Yeah, let's drink this stuff. Mm. All right, drive by. I haven't had a Lone Star in a long time. This is like way better than I remember it being. <laughs> is it because of the full flavor one, or do you remember the uh, the light ones? That's a good Man. beer. It is very good. I don't know if anybody. I don't know. It. I might it's... just. I might be remembering the lights. But, uh, uh, it's too tasty. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually. Um, I, I think I agree with you, Matt. Um, I, I know I've had Lone Star Light plenty of times. Mine's already gone. With the full body, the, the Lone Star, it you've got a, a little bit of a. 
you're getting a little bit more of a, a hoppiness on the back end. Like you, you're starting to like it's more of just a, a light beer, right? You know what I mean? Like the, the Miller Lights and the even like Coors Original, right? That, that's like their whatever. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of digging this. Go ahead, James. Okay, so Lone Star Brewery was built and established in 1884. Told you. Was the first large mechanized brewery in Texas. Told you. Told you, man. Why are you, you know. We all yeah. told you. you. Know. We all told you. You know. The freaking can said it. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. Jesus. Knowledge. Hey, another Knowledge thing that power. Texas brought you. Hey, Matt, you want to give us a score on this? You want to go first? Well, first of all, I don't know why you would ever you would ever drink a Montucky if you got one of these bad boys sitting next to you. I cannot agree more. Don't be hateful. Very I nice. cannot agree more. <laughs> Matthew, you're saying you're preaching right now. Matt, do you want me to go for I it? I like it. I'm trying to I'm trying to rate it as a, you know, cheaper beer. You know what well, I mean? That's, like, first of all, that's kind of condescending. Yeah, don't, well, don't, you don't rate, rate, this, it as, rate it as what it is. It's a beer. Yeah. That's all it is. How does this right. beer make you feel? Makes me feel like a Texan. There you go. I'm going to give this one a 6.8. That's a good 6. Like, I'm, I'm happy with this 6.8. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, like you said, at that like, price point, it's hard to get a 6.8. So that's pretty good. Okay. Good for you, Matt. I think that's a little low, but good for you, man. I'll go next. 9.5. There you go, Jesus. Alden. Oh, my God. Yes, sir. Get, get out of here. Yes, sir. This? Hey, uh, he loves it. I love it. I love Lone Star. He loves it. 9.5. He might drink it over freaking Bud Light for now. I don't see that happening. It, you like it. Huh? I used to drink Budweiser, buddy. Yeah, there you go. I love me some Lone Star. There you go. Okay. John, what do you got? 9.5. I mean, this is a good beer. This is a beer, like, you know. Is it better than Montucky? For me? No. It's not? No. It's good. I like it. And I could drink this all day long. I could drink this every day, just like I do Montucky or Coors Light or anything else. It's it's a good light. Not light. light. I know it's not a light beer, but it it goes down smooth like a light beer. It is. It's very good. I'm I'm not bullshit. I mean, it's This may be the most refreshing beer. Okay. Other than that's probably good, and it comes in sixteen ounces. That's like right, Montauky does. Like, you know, it's just coincidence. There's a shit ton of beers that come in sixteen ounces. Okay. Well, all of them do, but <laughs> yeah, right. a lot of them just. That's okay. what they How about the rich history in. this company has versus Montauky? And you're telling me that beer outgrades this one? I'm just saying. I can't even drink Montauky. Let's have six other beers prior to that. Well, let's see. What well, you, you rated yeah. it pretty high. I did because I was. Six beers deep last time. <laughs> Do it again. We'll see where we're at. I did as well, but right. yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. No, I get? really, I do. I, I love this beer. You guys trying to make me feel bad for liking it, but I probably give it like a seven two. Seven two is a great score. You're creating this a seven two over like the independent breweries and everything else that are putting out some crazy flavors and everything. I mean, like seven two is high. Yeah, great. for me, and it's it's. I mean, obviously, we rate a lot of different things. But it's just, I mean, it's the drinkability factor. It's smooth, it's tasty, and you could drink a shit ton. You can, but there, but there, at least there's a good body flavor in there, though. Oh, it does have some good flavor, but it's right? it's also... You don't feel like you're just drinking water. Very smooth. It is. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most smoothest. smoothest. Are we saving the best for last? Is it, is well, it I haven't done? gone yet. Oh, shit. Oh, Sorry, James. Yes, we are. Go ahead, I'm just James. kidding, man. I <laughs> so, love you, buddy. Um, I'm going to go... I want to do this right. I'll do it justice. This is a seven five. Seven five. This is a good beer. It's a drink. It's a really drinkable beer. Seven five is my, my score. That's what it is. Yeah, that's pretty much where I am. You gave me all this crap about it, but yeah, I'm, we're right on the same page. We are. 
Right. That well, I didn't know. That is no, very you true. scored it the way you should have scored it. You talked about it like it wasn't. So that's the part that I'm No, like, I just said that when Alden said 9.5, I reacted like, are you kidding me? Which no, is think, how you should have reacted. Well, I think 9.5 is a little generous. Okay. That's what I was but, saying. But for if, if I was grading this on a just a light or a, a craft, not craft. I don't know. I don't that's know what's not how we do it. I don't right? how you say this. Yeah, no, you don't. This well, is let's the beer let the people me. know we're drinking a full flavored Lone Star, not a light Lone Star. Right. Which makes a difference. Oh, for sure. James, yeah. let's hear what you have to say about this. Let me just go ahead and just get right into it. So I have a few like fun facts for you guys if you want to if you want to hear them. I'd so love to hear. Due to similarity, it's believed that the Alamo beer pictured in the television series King of the Hill is a winking tribute to Lone Star beer. Now that I love. Did you like that? I do love that. I do love that. I freaking love King of the Hill. That can't be just a rumor. That I think grabbing the brisket needs to endorse that as a fact on King of the Hill. Yeah, I think we're just going to go on record that's a fact. This is Alamo beer? Or Alamo beer is Lone Star? Alamo beer is Lone Star right. and King of the okay. Hill. But where's Arlen? Still in Dallas though, right? Correct. All, All right. in Texas. All in Texas. Though. Fun sure. fact number two. Lone Star Beer is featured predominantly in the Houston film Urban Cowboy. All right. Is that Clint Eastwood? No. Did no. you say Clint Eastwood? Yeah, he's old. Urban right? Cowboy. Yeah. That's with um, John Travolta? John Travolta. That was my next guess. Yeah. Another fun fact, Joe Bob Brig, horror TV host. Monster Quest. Lone Star Beer is his drink of choice. All right, so what's next? It, there's a hundred other different like pop references of Lone Star Beer. I'm gonna go into all of them, but you guys, hey, Google it, check out the Wikipedia page, and you can find it yourself. But I'm just gonna give it a solid 8.0. That's a rookie ass score. Uh, seriously, 8.0. Like it's, I want to. So my original score was 7.7, but I was like, no, I'm dialing it back down to seven and a half. 8.0 is so rookie though. Like I don't know how you even like. How do you sleep at night when you keep knowing that you keep pulling this bullshit out? If this thing lands in the top 10... It I should. gave it 9.5. Uh, it it so. should. Hey, Terry Allen's 1979 song, Amarillo by Highway, makes a bunch of references to Pearl Beer and Lone Star Beer. Charlie Daniels' band... Look, I can keep going. No, no I mean, that's good. Yeah, Texas, Texas, Lone Star Beer. I should rate this thing 10. All right, so everybody, everybody scored, right? Yep. All right. Well, shit. It is what it is. Boom. We love it, Lone Star. Yeah, thank you. It's up to the people, so hey, go out there and try it for yourselves. I mean, it's a good beer. Not that light shit. Right? Yeah, you can find it anywhere in Texas. If you can't find it, you're in the wrong state. Boom. And that was the conclusion of the what? 90 second beer. It's it's the 90 second beer review. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the Bee Gees. Nobody can get that high. Okay. No. Can we get into what we're here for tonight? All right, let's, let's get into the, obviously, what you guys have been hanging around for, the interview with Jess Pryles. Hey, let's bring Jess on. For the people that uh, aren't a part of the, I guess you'd say barbecue world, the cooking world, the, I mean, just a part of this world, right? that that has not heard of Jess Pryles, uh, let me just go ahead and just kind of clue you in on, on who she is and what she's done and um, all this good stuff. So... First and foremost, I mean, chef, pitmaster, author, I mean, entrepreneur, own line of barbecue rubs and 
seasoning. So, I mean, uh, I'm not really sure what she doesn't do. I mean, right. <laughs> so basically just a resident badass. Yep. Exactly. Could have just said that. Yeah, yeah. I should have just let off with that. <laughs> that. That's what I need to put on my business card. Yes, absolutely. Let's just go ahead and start off the beginning. So how did you, I mean, how did you get into cooking? Actually, let me just ask you, what kind of inspired you to getting to the live fire grilling, the smoking, dealing with the meats and, and all that stuff? Was there anything or anybody in particular that, that kind of inspired you to, to or influenced you to do that? Um, it was definitely a trip to Texas. My first trip here when I had my first taste of barbecue that had a lot to do with it. But honestly, like the biggest inspiration was just that I loved <laughs> eating so much. Yes. Like my mom, my mom has definitely become a better cook as I've gotten older. And she used to make lamb chops cause I'm from Australia and we have lamb, like lamb cutlets and she used to make them in the broiler. And my favorite part was like the bit along the bone. So basically imagine like lamb tomahawks, right? Right. That got all crispy and charred and, you know, kind of cremated by the boiler. And I would like, that's such a massive food memory for me eating that, which has a lot to do with, you know, that, that, that same concept as live fire. So it kind of started with that trip to Texas and trying barbecue for the first time and being like, oh, my God, beef rib <laughs> is like that one little shred along the lamb bone, but it's the whole thing. And so then it became kind of more of about a fascination. I mean, I'm not a trained chef. I, I, I just am a, I'm a cook, but um, it became a fascination and a challenge to learn how to do it, you know, and, and, and the more that I learned about meat the more I learned about meat cookery and suddenly something that seemed very, very um, mysterious and difficult and overwhelming was actually pretty approachable. See, I, I love um, and you just not just learning how to, hey, okay, I'm going to learn how to cook this steak or I'm going to learn how to cook this beef rib or I'm going to learn how to cook this. I mean, you went beyond that to learn the, I guess, the meat science of where these particular parts or cuts of the animal, you know, where they come from and uh, how they react to different, you know, methods of cooking. Yeah, I mean, that's really fascinating for me. I didn't even, I wasn't even aware, uh, you know, when I started my journey to being a, a hardcore carnivore that you could even do a meat science degree. And a lot of people aren't. And there's a lot of universities in Texas that do offer that. Um, and then... There were some of us, I guess I got more nerdy about the, the meat side than the barbecue side because there are folks that, you know, want to talk about flavor compounds of smoke and pyrolytic thermodynamics of cookers. And, I, I, of course, I know, you know, my fair amount about that, but I'm just fascinated by the idea of meat science. And um, a lot of it is all just logical, like, oh, huh, that makes sense. Okay, I get it now. Right. And this is the irony is that I hated science in high school <laughs> and now my life is devoted to it. Right. Is there anything like that? Uh, I mean, just off the top of your head that you hear people like, uh, like me, for instance, I remember my first time I cooked a brisket. It actually wasn't my first time. Uh, a, lot, a lot of us have backgrounds in probably doing competition cooking and then just backyard cooking. And, and, but one of my first early, I guess, memories of doing a brisket really well that you know it was like a 12 hour smoke on post oak um 
came out beautiful. The bark was beautiful. Everything was great. And I was so proud of this meat that, you know, of course you take pictures and then I posted it socially. Um, and I'm not really sure where I posted it. It was probably, it was probably Twitter or something like that. You know, thinking that I was going to get this huge just response of just like, holy crap, that looks awesome. <laughs> and, you know, the first one that came back was like, that looks burnt. And I'm like, what? what? Right. I was totally deflated. And then, then a few people, ah, that, that looks kind of burnt, uh, dry. I, I'm not really sure what's happening. You might have left that on just a little too long. Of course, this was probably like maybe about 10 years ago. Uh, and that has since, I guess, people have come a little bit more educated as far as what a bark is. I mean, you're not actually burnt meat. But uh, there's a few things that you, you hear on, like, uh, I guess we've done episodes on debunking myths. Uh, I mean, stuff like cooking meat fat side up versus fat side down. I mean, does, does, the, does the, the fat actually drip, penetrate through the meat? You know, uh, and trying to do some type of research, like you're saying, on some of this, especially when we were doing competition barbecue, mm-hmm. you kind of have to, like, find those little one-ups or little tips or, or tricks that you can do to try to get up on the competition. Anything like that pop out to you as far as like, eh, that's kind of bullshit. Well, I, I have to, uh, you know, I have to do it with a burnt thing all the time, by the way, because obviously my best-selling rub has charcoal in it and is jet black. So yes. I get a lot of like people who don't really know what it is or understand what it is telling me that I've burned the meat. But everything's subjective because then I get other people who see a perfectly medium rare steak and tell me that it's raw. So, you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess. But, um, you know, beer can chicken is kind of the big BS one for me because uh, the thing is this, I can tell you all of the science behind what, what goes on. Like, for example, fat side up or fat side down. It's not that the meat ever, pe- it's not the fat ever penetrates the meat at a cellular level but as the meat cooks and the fat melts away it creates space between the muscle fibers right so if the if the fat cap is up theoretically that fat does run into the spaces that have opened up so it's not being absorbed by the meat it's just being caught in these micro spaces right yeah that's the scientific reason for what happens but if you believe that fat side down is better and you, you know, and you've done 80 cooks and, and you're just convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt, nothing I say is going to change your mind. And that's the funny thing with this. There are, there are folks that just, they swear that their way is the way and beer can chicken, you don't, a lot of it is psychosomatic and aroma based. So brining is really you know that that's a chemical reaction of forcing extra moisture because of the presence of the salt into um, into the muscle to make up for the the moisture that you lose during cooking but just having an extra pan of water in there doesn't make the muscle take up extra extra moisture you know what i mean right. so like sitting the chicken on top of a beer can doesn't actually make that much of a difference. You're sitting it over a Coke can, like scientifically doesn't make that much of a difference. You may get some aroma molecules from the beer. You may get some aroma molecules from the Coke. But I, I used to fight it, and now I'm not anymore. People love it. They love buying the, the, the cookers. They always ask me why I don't have one on my website, you know, recipe for it. I kind of roll my eyes. And listen, <laughs> if you believe that you can taste that soda in that chicken, good for you. I um, absolutely love that you're saying this. Like, there's a whole lot of things that we we talk about and go through 
Uh, and you know, we, we have this big discussions over fat side up, fat side down. And I mean, I'm a firm believer, like really you want it to be around where the, uh, if your heat's coming from the bottom, then of course, maybe you want to keep that extra layer of fat on the bottom, right? If your heat's coming from the top, maybe you want, you want to flip it over. Uh, but if we could rewind just for a second, cause I, there's one thing that I think we are in Texas and we are a Texas barbecue podcast. Uh, and I do love the fact that you came to Texas and fell in love with barbecue. And I think that's for me, like don't get me wrong. I love the science part of it. And usually I'm, I'm not an airhead or anything like that. However, yeah. I do say that the remains words, to be, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I do say the word science, science, science all the time when people start talking uh, about the molecule uh, or the molecular level of, of how this stuff works. Uh, I know that I like good barbecue. I know that whatever, and I just love the fact that you came to Texas. So for me, this is like score right there. Boom, done. Do you, do you remember that first barbecue joint or that first? Oh place? yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. It was called Arts Room House on South Lamar in Austin, and they were one of the few places back then. Because I mean, y'all know how much Texas barbecue has changed in the last five or ten years. You know. Yeah. Um, there weren't many places doing beef ribs, and they were one of them. And they weren't great. They were back ribs, but, I mean, they it was that classic, like, thick Dalmatian bark, which is that salt and pepper, very coarse pepper. Um, and they were, for sure, cooking them hot and fast, too. That's the other thing. Like, I've noticed a, a change in the past, I would say, four to five years in the way that people are cooking in, in Central Texas restaurant style. And I think because of um, people like Aaron Franklin, a big part of the way that people cook now is is all about the rest, an extended rest, how you're resting it, are you resting it in a cooler. And that's where you see that really kind of melty, fall apart, impossibly textured stuff. But to be honest with you, I love, for beef rib, like you can cook that baby hot and fast and, and the fat on it shouldn't just render, it should kind of transform into these golden nuggets that you can kind of, that is that are really crispy that you can kind of pull off and eat. Um, and I really don't see that that much anymore because everyone's wrapping, you know, either in cling wrap or butcher paper and just holding and holding and holding. And it's delicious, but a lot of it has that roastier profile. And also a lot of these guys are using those big thousand gallons with really aggressive stacks now. So the draw on these smokers is extremely aggressive. So you're actually not getting that much smoke. You're getting a lot of heat, but because it's so efficient, you're not, the smoke flavor is actually very subtle. But back in the day when it was a little more, you know, rogue, that you'd probably just be cooking hot and fast. You'd probably throw whatever trash wood you had on there because you're not, you know, getting your specialty season wood guy. Um, and it was a little bit more cowboy, but it was, it, it was, that's kind of how I like it. I, I like it to be a little bit more aggressive at a little higher heat for beef ribs anyway. So, so when you say higher heat, um, you're talking maybe, maybe around 275 or maybe 325 or 350. Is that, is that something? Yeah. I cook them at 275. I think you can do, do them at 300 to 350 at least, for sure. Because if you think about it, like you can, you can, a beef rib is incredibly forgiving. It's very marbled. Um, you also can use that bone as a conductor. So you can actually heat up the bone and cook it that way too. Um, if your pit is running hot enough. And that's when you get that really, really aggressive, crusty bark instead of kind of the one that can be, I guess, a little softer. Um, and yeah, so you, you cook it hot and fast and 
if you're going to do it in an oven, 350 or 300 is still pretty low for an oven. You know what I mean? Right. So um, you, you kind of can't go wrong because you want to just cook them. It's not like when a pork rib you're going for that ultimate, you know, kind of 20-minute window when it's the perfect bite. <laughs> um, you want a beef rib completely falling apart. So. I say I could not agree more. I think that uh, we just actually com completed uh, just a home cook here. We're always practicing, trying something different, a different rub, a different seasoning. Um, and this hot and fast, we, we used to, when we first started this almost 20 years ago, cooking uh, competitionally, um, hot and fast was the way that, you know, I think we were taught how to cook, you know, right. especially in the competition world. It wasn't until probably, I don't know, the last five years, kind of like what you were saying, is that we actually kind of slowed our cooking process down a little bit. Um, and it is more about the rest time, uh, which we never did in the past. Uh, and I, I think it has helped our barbecue. Well, I've seen our scoring go from, you know, where we're sometimes uh, in the top 10, maybe in the top 20 usually, um, to where we were consistently in the top 10 uh, over the last couple of years. And I think it has to do with maybe that rest time for, for the brisket um, side of it. But uh, like I said, we just completed a, a super hot and fast uh, cook, and we didn't really mean to, um, but the pit did get away from us a little bit. I think it had to do with Coors Light and, and some beer, to be honest with you. Uh, but I think we were running probably close to, at one point, we had beef ribs on and a brisket on, and I think we were probably pushing close to 390 on <laughs> on this offset smoker on a trailer that we have, and I've never seen it that high before. So uh, the brisket was really good, though. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. The brisket was really good. The beef ribs were really good, so... I don't know. Yeah, we, I may have to start. I think Jess kind of hit it on the, the the nail on the head. I'm a huge fan of those, like the crunchy, the burnt bits of of fat and meat and seasoning um, on the on the meat, whether it's beef ribs or brisket. And I always had the kind of the idea of like back in the day, the the burnt ends were just exactly that. And it seems like for me, maybe that's kind of like transformed over to kind of something else to where they you cook it the brisket or or if you want to do the like the poor man uh, burnt ends with the the chuck roast and you cube, cube it up but you you smoke it see you season it up you smoke it you cook it and then you toss it back into a pan and you cook it with sauce and which is i mean we've done it plenty of times and, it, and it's super delicious but me personally i like the just dry crunchy burnt in salt and pepper yeah yeah, yeah. I yeah, actually I do a presentation on this at uh, Brisket Camp at A&M, and what we talk about, I talk about burnt ends and the difference between restaurant and competition-style barbecue, and burnt ends, it's exactly what you're saying. Like, that they were the, there was only a couple on each brisket, and it was because they were cooking so hot and fast, and it was kind of the sacrificed ends of either the point or the flat that became dry and crunchy and crispy, um, that were burnt and it's, you know, it's kind of like the end piece on the prime rib, you know, uh, if, if you like that, but there's only two of them. Right. And right. then, you know, and, and so, but then the industry tries to find a way to make every piece an end piece and it becomes a whole different beast. So definitely modern day burnt ends, which are just, you know, in Kansas City, they're just sauced. They're not even returned back for more caramelization. Obviously, the home version, um, Matt Pittman has a very famous recipe. Um, Heim did pork belly burn ends. Um, I have videos on my web on my website and YouTube for both of them if you're interested. Um, but th 
that is that kind of meat candy that we call burnt ends now is really nothing like the original. And if you go into, you know, Louis Miller and Taylor and you get that little nugget that they serve you while you're waiting, that, that was, that was meant to be the burnt end. That's what it was. Yeah. And I, I read an article and it was, uh, it, it was from a while back, but I mean, it, it, said that and i don't i don't really remember when this originated or what barbecue restaurant this originated from or whoever decided created burnt ends but it was like a a scrap a piece of meat that i guess the 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 butcher or the pit master deemed okay this is i'm not going to sell this i'm going to go ahead and just i'm going to put it out there just for people that are waiting in line so they can grab a snack chew on some a little bit and it got to the point where it got so popular that people started requesting it hmm it's yeah. like, can I get some of those burnt bits? Or those, I, I, don't, I don't remember what they called them. So I, I, I think the first time I was introduced, uh, I guess, to your line of products was the Hardcore Carnivore Red. And since then, we've had a few of your other other lines there. Of the, We've had the black uh, for sure. Um, I've not had the camo yet or the Amplify. Uh, but I'm super familiar with the red. And I know you earlier made a comment that you said black is probably one of your most common, or you're doing really well with that with, with that brand or that season. I can definitely see why. Uh, but for me, the red is something that stands out. And I'm, I'm really, we've tried to dissect this thing down. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, it's such a good rub. And I'll tell you, the one thing I really love about it is that you you feel like you can't put enough of it on. Like, I'm not going to over red this or or over season this with with red seasoning it just makes a good it's a good flavor it's not too salty it's not too i don't know i I can't really put my finger on it. not sweet right i mean it's just it's a really really good rub and we use it in our competitions uh, a lot Uh, yeah we've had a lot of success with that a lot of success i'm sure a lot of other teams have had a lot of success with it but i i have to say me that y'all no one tells me because they all want to keep it a secret so i feel right? like it could be the best thing rub in barbecue and just no one talks about it i'm gonna tell you right now most teams will not talk about it uh and you know everybody does little tricks to trade as far as transferring the container to another container right or taping up the label so nobody can see what it is but i can tell you right now we've been doing this 20 something uh, years i love the fact that when we put that rub on and let it sit just for maybe 20 minutes before we put it onto the pit it's the most beautiful uh, rib sitting out there before it goes in the pit. And I'm like, kudos to what you've done because yeah. I have no idea what makes it red and how, how it does what it does. <laughs> I just know it looks phenomenal. So um, I love Thank that rub. It's all, it is all, the color is all natural. But I will say, I think that's where the Australian, I think it's the Australian background and the Texan, the honorary Texan status that has made the difference because we have much, I'm, I'm not trying to be offensive here, but we have much cleaner food overall in Australia because the population is smaller. So you don't have, you know, you don't have to have like giant food service beasts to feed 300 million people. Right. right? So you have less processed food. You have much more kind of real, less preservative foods available to you and because of that the idea of too much flavoring or msg or sugar or corn syrup like all our coca-cola in australia is cane sugar because we have more cane sugar than cane sugar cane and corn right so every coke in australia is a mexican coke in addition as y'all would know the the classic not competition but texas barbecue flavor is very very savory it's just that salt and pepper, and in fact, a lot of these guys will use the same rub on all of their meats, 
Um, you often won't find sweet pork ribs at restaurants in Texas. You'll just find, you know, salt and pepper, maybe some Italian dressing or something a little tangy on there. And because of the flavor profile that I grew up with and then obviously adopted further into Texas, I'm just, I just have a kind of natural aversion to overly sweet things. And I don't, I think that helped me craft red and black and that's part of the success, which is they're, they are quite understated and allow the meat to do their thing. Whereas I feel like a lot of other rubs are trying to be like, you bought a bottle of rub, so I'm going to give you some rub, you know, like, like here's, some, <laughs> here's some flavor and let's go to flavor town and sugar and right. let's put two. flavor grenade so, in your mouth. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a pretty good one. <laughs> Flavor grenade. That's so, weird. Yeah, that's the difference, you know. And the other thing is, y'all. I mean, y'all sauce the ribs, right? For comp. Yep, yep. For comp, we do. So why layer? Like, if if you're following any basic food principle, which is balance, why would you take a super sweet rub and then put a super sweet sauce over the top? Wouldn't you want a savory rub and then the sweet at the end? I I cannot agree more. Yes. Yeah, 100% agree with you, but the, the people that are judging, and that's probably part of the problem, the people that are judging it, that's what they want. I, well, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think, so, and I've seen this, only because we've been doing the competitions for so long, I've seen, it's if you turn in something just a little bit different than what everybody else is turning in, like, you know, you have 160 teams, which we've done plenty of times, that cooked against, and then... Uh, when you have 150 of them turn in a sweet candied rib, and you turn in something that's not so candied, right, got a little kick to it. It stands out. It people like, oh, this is a different rib. I really like this. You, you make it to final table just because you are a little bit different, and then you're like, you know what? It's sweet. It's savory. It's a little tangy. It's a little spicy. It's it's all of those things that we try to put together when we're doing a competition that really helps us get where we're going. Uh, but that's what I like about your rub so much is that I don't feel like. We were, we were giving this a sweet a sweet rub on it. I think we're giving a savory with a little bit of sweet at the end that way you get a little bit of both compounds. That, that's why we really love this whole line you put out. Thank you. I don't often get to hear that feedback for previous secret reasons we discussed, so I'm, I'm pretty happy to hear it. Yeah, I've been pretty sneaky as far as like trying to... I'm not saying I'm trying to steal people's uh, secrets or whatever, but when they post it social media, like cooking or whatever, maybe they have bottles of rubs sitting out or, hey, go check out this. We've been using this and we've been killing it in the competition world. Um, I always look for what they're not talking about. Right. What's and in the background it, of the video? Correct. Yeah. And, and I, you're, you're right on. I mean, I don't hear people talk about using hardcore carnival red. And we're probably a little bit guilty of it ourselves is trying to like, oh, I'm going to keep this secret. I'm not telling anybody that we've, we've used this and we've won on this uh, and been quite successful doing it. So, uh, but hey, the cat's out of the bag. People need to know. I'm I was just about to say, y'all, you don't have a choice now. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so we, uh, um, you mentioned earlier about the, I guess, the barbecue explosion in, in Texas. I mean, did Australia um, go through a similar experience? Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Uh, it's, it, you know, it, it's nearly weird that it didn't get to Australia earlier because, like, I feel like any excuse to drink beer in the yard for an extended period of time rather than just a grilling period of time would make a lot of sense to Australians. Yeah. But uh, 
it, it just took a little while to get there and then they just went crazy for it. So it's definitely, I mean, I, I you know, I have, I've lived here for five years now, so I, I do have an awareness of what goes on back there, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not, it's not as good as it once was, but I know that it's just kept growing and growing and growing in popularity. So, um, and a lot of teams come over to compete. Uh, we send the Australasian Barbecue Alliance, which is a, uh, sanctioning body that I helped found actually. Um, it sends two teams to the Houston rodeo every year as part of their international village. So yeah, I was it, just, it's, it's a, I was just fixing to bring that up because I actually volunteer for the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo Barbecue Competition. So, and I'm kind of set up right next to where the International um, Village is. So, and it's it's very great that you get to see these these teams, whether it's Australia or uh, Japan or UK, and all these guys coming here to compete. And I think maybe last year or the year before they were quite successful. Oh yeah, so two three years ago, uh, a team who also used hardcore carnivore. <laughs> Uh, which was completely coincidental. And the guy is actually the foreman of a meat processing plant. So he got to cherry pick his brisket and he flew his own brisket over and they came second. So, which was extraordinary, especially being that it was an Australian brisket, which is, does have a different flavor. So um, they did really, really well and they've, they've competed there since. But um, I know that there are teams that have been to the Royal that have done really well too. So it's definitely... It's definitely a scene. Yeah. You, you mentioned Australian brisket. Um, Jan uh, was talking about his, doing his brisket the previous week with the beef ribs. But th- th- this whole time that we're under, I mean, you're obviously experiencing the the the, the COVID, the slowdowns and all that stuff, that, that all the mess that comes around with it. And so we, we uh, went to the, the HEB to get a brisket. And the only thing they had were briskets. I think they were processed from Canada which was kind of new to us. We're like, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting. I mean, we're not really, you know, what's going on here, but uh, okay. I only eat American beef. What's going on with this Canadian beef? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it was really good. It, it actually had, I'm not sure it had a different flavor, but I like the fact that they didn't actually put on there, was it a choice, a prime or select? The grading system wasn't there. It was just a Canadian brisket with a crown on it and I feel like it was a prime because it cooked up really nice. It was super tender, super moist. I don't know. It could have been a choice, but it was really good. Sometimes the you know the difference between a prime and choice is just what the USDA inspector decides that day. Some of them can be arguably very close to one or the other, and, and actually, slaughterhouses have the right to kind of send it back for like they can contest the decision. They rarely do, but they can. So because um, it's all it, it really is subjectively based on site and training so um there's nothing to finish you can get you know upper choice that's just about as good but you're paying less per pound so if you're a smart bee buyer that's definitely what you'll do so when you have these inspectors that grade the beef uh, i've heard they they use the ribeye to grade the beef is that correct or is that inaccurate yeah, so they, they split the animal between the 12th and 13th rib, which basically splits the forequarter from the hindquarter, and they split it right on that ribeye, and they grade the entire carcass just by the ribeye. Okay. So it's crazy because if you do, you know, I've heard butchers say that sometimes they'll have a pretty underwhelming ribeye, but like the flat iron will be insane, or you know, another muscle will have marbled really well. But unfortunately right now there's just not really the technology to – 
you can imagine how long it would take to grade every cut by cut rather than just give the whole carcass a grade. Um, and I know they're working on things like, um, uh, what do you call it? That I'm, I'm like, you know, the thing that they look at the baby with, oh, ultrasound. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, they, they can do like ultrasound to check on the marbling of an animal, but um, there it, it just be really difficult right now to get that, you know, to, to inspection stage. But yeah, it's the whole carcass is graded just on the ribeye. Kind of crazy, right? That, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole shortage of beef, I mean, is that, I mean, is that something to be worried about or people just, I mean, again, I, I probably need to stay off like social media because, you know, you hear different things and uh, all that good stuff. I mean, is there anything to be worried about? I mean, I know we've had some meatpacking plants shut down. I know the 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 amount of beef uh, is still out there. I mean, it's still readily available as far as uh, um, the, the ranchers go, but you hear people like, Try to say, oh, okay, well, go go source your local butcher and and buy a whole cow and go ahead and uh, that way you, you can you can get your your meat and all that good stuff and support your farmer and all that stuff like that. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I got a lot of thoughts on that actually. Uh, <laughs> I think industry is on. It's usually somewhere between seven to ten years because it's all supply and demand, and you have glutton times where there's you know, too much meat released into the market and prices come down. And then you have other times where there's not a whole lot. Also, the animals are seasonal too. So that, that, that comes into account as well. Um, you, you know, obviously get, they give birth in the spring more likely. And, and so there's a whole lot of factors at play, but it's not unusual to see a binge and a purge of what's hitting the market. Um, the prices that double or tripled recently were more about market scare, like the toilet paper thing. There right. was never really a shortage of toilet paper. It, it's just that the supply chain was put under stress because people's buying habits went up unreasonably, right? And, right. and that's all usually forecasted. So, and that's all obviously also coming back to normal right now. Right. I mean, are you telling so, me that you don't need like 2,400 um, packs of toilet paper? I mean, I don't. I don't know what you do. You might have a problem uh, if you do, yeah. <laughs> so the thing, so here's the big thing. I There was a meme that was passed around that said exactly what you said. Contact your local rancher, book it, take it to a local butcher. First of all, you're not walking a cow to a butcher. A butcher is not a slaughterhouse. Just because a butcher is a butcher doesn't mean they have the capacity or license to slaughter. On top of that, most domestic independent small slaughterhouses are booked till January. You book your animal in for slaughter. So that's another thing there. On top of that, where do you think cows come from if not ranchers? Even the ones that come out of the big JBS plants out in Lubbock originated on a ranch somewhere. They're not born into a Petri dish. They're right. born on rancher cow calf operations. And on top of that, even though you can have some really great small holders, like small ranchers that care about their genetics, there's a difference between, if we're talking purely about the quality of the meat from an eating standpoint, not an ethics standpoint, there's a difference between caring for your animal and caring for your genetics. Like you can go out and give that, hu that animal a hug every morning, 
but it still could be a trash cow with trashy genetics that doesn't have much marbling in it that would grade select, right? It right. could be an old animal. Like, there is nothing to say that it's better quality just because it was bought direct from the rancher. There are some ranchers who do a great job of, like I said, taking care of their genetics, taking care of their feed, um, and they do have a great herd that they have. But most people, especially when they're just doing it for that Texas ag exemption, which we all know about, right? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I got a couple of buddies. Yeah, like, you know, I've had I, I've had friends and people I know be like, oh, yeah, like, I only beef from my own farm. And I'm like, well, pretty average beef, to be honest with you. But, <laughs> That's awesome. But I don't know. It's, it's a little bit... It's a very slippery slope. I, I feel like my stance is I feel like the beef industry should support itself and not cannibalize itself. There's enough issue with things like impossible meats and the implications that come with that that you don't the beef industry doesn't need to be like taking jabs at itself. No, no, I totally and, agree. And, no, right. Like if you, if your priority is ethics. And if it is sustainability, then you have an argument for locavore eating. But on top of that, then this is where I really nerd out. And y'all probably are – tell me at the end of this if you're surprised to hear some of this because I rarely talk about this kind of stuff on social media. And a lot of people don't know that I know this stuff. But, yeah. you know, when people feel like quoting it, they say that, that the meat industry contributes 10% towards greenhouse gas emissions globally, Right. Right. The U.S. beef industry, within the U.S., the agri the beef industry only contributes three percent. The third largest producer of beef in the world is, come on, guess Australia. No, that'd be like it's probably the no. fourth. So you've got USA, Australia, and Brazil as the top three, and then the fourth would be. US. India. India. Did not know that. Really? India. Really. Right. There you go. How do you think their practices are in terms of being environmentally friendly? I mean, I would, yeah, very, very friendly, I would assume. <laughs> I don't think so at all. <laughs> no. I think they care. So I'm, not, I'm not saying right or wrong or any of that, but, yeah. but the point is, like, it's not these first world countries that are actually contributing the major emissions here. So there's a bigger discussion and bigger things at play and different people on different sides like to throw figures at each other. And if you don't know anything about it and you don't know what you're looking for, it's easy to get suckered in by it and misunderstood and all of that kind of stuff. So that's why I, you know, this is a continuation of why the meat science side and the meat industry side has actually become more of a fascination to me than just straight barbecue. Have you ever thought about um, starting to raise, or, or do you, maybe do you, you do already? Do you, are you are you ever going to raise your own cattle or, or anything like that, or is that something you're interested in? Um, you know, maybe eventually. I don't have any. It, it, it's it's not as fun as it seems, and it's <laughs> extremely expensive. And you know, it's it's the same thing that I discussed with you that uh, um, you can do a lot of work to to end up with some okay beef. Right. Um, sure. I think it'd be cool to, to run to run cattle one day, but am I thinking about the Jess Pryles beef brand? Not right now, no. <laughs> so, uh, one thought, uh, uh, grass-fed versus grain. I mean, uh, I know 
we've talked about this before on the podcast. We even had uh, um, certain guests on that, that have discussed this. I mean, any thoughts on that? Yeah, what, what do you want them to be? Um, <laughs> let's see if you agree with me or not. Uh, I, I like grain-fed beef. I think, I think it has a little bit more flavor. I mean, for me, that's just personally my, my opinion. So, when it comes to when, I, we, when it comes to brisket, I like I prefer the taste of grain fed because it's actually milder. So to me, it's more beefy, and you take away the gaminess that grass can bring. Um, so when you're looking straight at the difference between grass and grain fed, there's not a tremendous amount of like nutritional difference. There are differences, but what one lacks, the other one has, and vice versa. So. Um, Devil's advocate from a sustainability point of view, uh, grass-fed is definitely the way to go there. But then, I mean, I don't know if y'all wanted to go down this road, but basically the major issue that you're going to have to address in the United States before you can talk about whether or not it's correct to go back to grass and all of these HG-free, um, you know, antibiotic-free animals is until you stop serving 10 chicken nuggets for a dollar and... People expect to get fries, a burger, and a shake for two ninety five. Right. Like until you can change that, you can't change the food system. Be it beef, be it vegetables, whatever. So uh, back to the grain and grass fed. I I do like both because we have a lot of grass fed in Australia, and also it depends on the quality of the grass. So like a lot of the grass fed that's sold in Whole Foods, that's kind of sold for people who think that grass-fed's better or they're more comfortable eating it, it's pretty bad quality beef because grain-fed fattens the animal quicker. But if the grass is great quality like it is in Maine, like Vermont where the dairies are or Hudson Valley, you can get, I mean, there's Australian grass-fed beef called Cape Grim that marbles like prime. And that's pretty interesting. It's, it's just, I, I like I like considering it all a delicacy, you know? I, I, I think that there's room for all of it. But day-to-day, I'm for sure in camp camp grain fed flavor wise nice i'm right there with you 100 percent. am i am i be honest am i going over the top with this stuff no well i personally love it i, I mean think, I, yeah you're yeah. dropping the knowledge for sure definitely and i, I think the people that, that are going to be listening are going to appreciate it i'm just i just i can i can nerd out so if you need to rein me back in feel free no you're you're, you're on point so i know you mentioned uh your website and you've got some recipes on there we did the uh the lamb ribs and it just kind of happened to work out i saw the video on social media and then happened to go into walmart of all places and i never seen lamb ribs before walmart yes yes i know and I, I don't shop for meat in there ever but i walked by and said oh there's freaking lamb ribs like jess was just talking about this i never seen these at H-E-B or anywhere else so i just i bought them and we cooked them and i, I don't know if you saw the video we posted but they were phenomenal that's so random. I was not expecting that. Someone actually did message me the other day that I found them at their HEB. And I think it depends where you're at because they stock their butcher uh, department differently. Um, but a lot, most Americans I like meet don't really like lamb. Like, have you had, do y'all like lamb to begin with? Because ribs are going to be much lambier than other cuts. And I feel like a lot of people are scared of lamb. Yeah, that's probably a mixture. I absolutely love it. I, I'm on the fence. I mean, it's it's very like you say. It's very, I guess gamey. Would it's very rich for me. Uh, I like it, but it's very. I can only do a small amount. Mm-hmm. 
it's not. I get you. Maybe it's not a. It's not a. It's not gamier. Because I mean, I, I eat deer. I eat other um, a, a, other animals. Uh, I think. I think it's a good word. It's it's lamier. I guess is that a word? I don't know if that's even something. She yeah, just said it. It's a word. right. It's a word. Um, yeah. I so so I've I've had it a couple of times. Uh, probably maybe I don't know five or six times. Um, I've never been disappointed with it. Never said I can't eat this. This is this is not whatever. Uh, but there is something there that I'm like okay. I think once you just get kind of get used to it, you're like, oh, this is really good. Like you're able to pick up on the subtle notes and everything else. If you're having it one time every couple of years, then it might be something like, okay, this this may my palate's not used to this, you know. So maybe I need to. I don't. I don't care for it, but I, I do kind of like it. I, I am a lamb uh, lamb chop guy, so I don't know. I mean, I can't get enough of it over here, but um, I'm glad I'm slowly preaching. The gospel, the lamb gospel. <laughs> the lamb gospel. That's what you need your next, your next cookbook to be called, the lamb gospel. Right? Yeah, that recipe yeah, was right. kind of, would, Yeah. Uh, so I, I, if we go back just a little bit, I know we talked a little bit about some of the seasonings and, and maybe some of the inspiration that you had for Red. Um, and I, I, I'm, I am an entrepreneur at heart, right? So that's, that's kind of my, my, my bag, my gig. Uh, I'm always looking at a way to either, and probably because my, my, my my professional life really puts me in that that, that spotlight, anyways. Uh, but looking at that and then and seeing your inspiration between like how how you came up with red and whatever else. But if you kind of good, you know, kind of talk about what it takes or what it took for you to like you know, I mean, you put a recipe together and you're like, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna put that one bottle this, and I'm gonna get it out there. Like that's it's really tough. And we we've interviewed some people. We had the um, the war pig. Uh, the guy that did the barbecue sauces mm-hmm. um, on Dennis. Dennis, and and he kind of he spoke about that. He actually won the HEB challenge that really helped launch him uh, to put him into stores and whatever else. Uh, but yeah, if you could, like, what is it? How? I mean, I know it, you're you're a creator, and and it's it's a mentality or mindset that I, I don't think I really have. Uh, I'm more of like a marketer or a more person that can I can talk to I can talk to anybody, uh, but. Uh, to create something, I, I find it really fascinating. And then the fact that, you know, you see people that create a rub and then it's like, it's kind of a one hit wonder person, right? But then you go out and you create this whole brand. And that's really what hardcore carnivore is, right? It's a brand that you've created. Uh, but then you, you, you launch all these different seasonings and like, what, what, how do you, what, what's, what's the mind process mindset for that? Well, I mean, it, it, it wasn't, it, it didn't come about, it wasn't strategic. It was very organic. So it was, black was out for a year before I considered bringing red out. And generally when you think you're gonna have a seasoning line, you bring out two or three to begin with and then keep adding. And y'all would know there's lots of seasoning companies out there that have 10 plus flavors in their line just because they just keep bringing them out and bringing them out. And I, uh, it was, People could try my recipes as y'all have, but there wasn't really any other way that I had to connect with people because I obviously don't have my own restaurant, what I think things should taste like. So um, I had the idea for the black rub and I wanted to do a version, just like I said, like, you know, I didn't want MSG in it, not because there's a problem with MSG, because most of the time, especially having judged comp barbecue, it's not used in judicious enough quantities and it got to the point where it just like, I'm not interested in that flavor because it's overpowering the meat instead of enhancing it. 
So I just kind of came up with what I thought I would like. I got a quote. The minimum was like, all right, that's feasible. And if it goes south and no one wants this, I'll just, everyone will get a Christmas present with my name on it, pretty much. <laughs> that was the plan, honestly. And then red came out. Red is nearly identical in flavor to black. It has a tiny bit more heat. And it came out because people were using black on pork ribs. It looked terrible. Like it just, it looked like the honest, like put the pork rack in, in a cremation machine and it was terrible. <laughs> so I came out with it, with it specifically for the color. Um, and then after that, I was like, oh shit, I've got two seasonings now. I guess I should work on another one. And then the third one was Amplify, which is the weirdest one in the line. It's made with chicken fat powder. People have no idea how to use it. They were like, what is it? What is a flavor dust? You know, and I feel like I like to make my life difficult sometimes because I could have just brought out an all purpose and everyone would go, great, I know what to do with it. But that's not really how I work. So um, I, I didn't really I, I didn't really have a huge plan to have a seasoning company. I kind of fell into it. And then along the way, we started adding things. We're still a really small company, like inter you know, internally, but I just added things that I like to use. So some of them were, you know, butcher's paper, branded butcher's paper or grilling gloves, and we have our own steak fork that gets made in Brazil. And on the shop I sell other items that I, you know, I like and use. So it's kind of a complete carnivores um, you know, it, it, I, I, discerning products for discerning meat enthusiasts, I would say, in general. So now it's definitely, I'm taking it very seriously. Um, and I still am of the opinion that everything that I bring out and everything that we add to the line and every decision that we make, there's still only five seasonings, is done. If it's, if it's not unique and it isn't something different, like, I'm not just going to do a hot version of bread. I could, it would probably sell really well, but like just add cayenne, really. Right. You know, like it, I, I only want to bring things out that that contribute to the cooking space instead of doing it from, from a marketing or, or even sales perspective. And I feel like even though that's a bit counterintuitive to running a company, it's served me really well so far and a lot of folks – I guess see the honesty in that or, or the products end up speaking for themselves because there's been so much R and D in them. So I absolutely you know, love that's, that. That's really, yeah, <laughs> no, I absolutely love that. It's like, you know, like you just said, adding a little heat to, to the red is, is a spicier version of, of that, whatever else. Um, one thing you said just a second ago, if we could go back, uh, was the, it was for the amplifier. Was it for the amp? Yeah, it was the. It's almost like a finishing the dust, a, yeah. a finishing powder. Uh, but one thing you said on there, it was a chicken. What would you say, chicken? It was a chicken seasoning. Did you uh, get that from like your? Uh, I guess you would say like your roots at Australia, because I've heard of a seasoning or something that I guess a lot of Australians use um, oh, yeah. called chicken salt. Yeah, and I've, I've made it myself. No, chicken salt. So, like, actual chicken salt. So, actually, fun fact, all of the KFCs in Australia, you can get regular chicken salt on all of your fries, on everything. It's that ubiquitous. Like, it's just a, it's just classic seasoning. 
and it's literally chicken flavor, kind of like the Nora chicken flavor. Right. Salt and MSG. Nice. I, I've <laughs> so, made I've made this. I don't know where I came I mean, across this, but I've made this before with the Nors. Yeah. With the uh, the the MSG, I, I think I came across a recipe that probably mentioned KFC with this uh, uh, French fries and chicken salt, and I'm like, I have to try this. I have to see what's going on here. <laughs> How was it? It was good. It's delicious. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, this is great. <laughs> I definitely took inspiration from it, but Amplify is different. I, Amplify, I had in mind actually. Um, people say it tastes like mac and cheese powder. But it's got no cheese in it. But I, I actually made it as a – the original idea was a rib wrap. So instead of – you know how everyone puts butter and brown sugar in rib wraps? Yep. I was like, what if you could do a powdered version that you could, like, keep at the deer camp and you just sprinkle that on? So that's where it started, and then it turned into this, like, giant savory beast. So there's a lot that you can do with it, but – but yeah, it definitely the, the chicken salt was definitely an inspiration for for the ingredients at least. Awesome, I love that. Going back to some of the products that you did that you do offer on your on your website, uh, I came up with I was, I was wondering and I was asking John. I was like, uh, let's see if we can get Jess to maybe. Is there a product or is there a tool that you can probably suggest to some of the novices, some of the people that are just starting getting into grilling, cooking, cooking outside with fire? Is there something that maybe possibly you can suggest that like, hey, you probably need to go ahead and get this. This will help you out tremendously. Yeah, and the sad part is we don't even sell it, but it's a it's a it's a thermometer. You you one hundred percent need to have a thermometer. Um, it, it's it's gonna make the biggest difference. It, it's gonna make a huge difference for your grilling. It's gonna make a huge difference to your learning about barbecue. But if you're looking for that magic bullet in terms of, you know, at, at 203, your brisket will be ready. That doesn't, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Right. Um, so but it's the best place to start to kind of learn the meat, learn your cooker, um, double check the temperatures too. Oftentimes that dial on your smoker can be off. So having a thermometer to, to verify that helps and is certainly much cheaper than ruining lots of meat you know john mentioned earlier and i guess you offer this on your website it's a log book that he's he's like i Mm -hmm. I have to get this i mean this is going to help us out and we preach this when we when we do competition and i think one thing that has helped us kind of excel at doing is is that we logged everything we made sure we came out with the timetable and we kept track of okay well we did this this and this at this particular competition and we were successful. Let's try to duplicate that, and then let's get these time frames down and, and all that stuff. So, I, I love that. I think I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, thank you. I, 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 we did a custom template for our logbook, and the one that we sell is actually it's the same thing. Like we really do invest a lot into these products. It's actually made from stone paper, and literally paper that's made from limestone. So it's bloodproof, resistance, um, like basically built for. You know, terror-resistant, built for uh, yeah. the tough conditions of barbecue. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's exactly what you said, and that also originates in competition. If you're really trying to perfect a recipe, you really should only make one change at a time. It's like you know, dismantling a bomb. You, you do one 
one step at a time and see what happens and, and watch what that variable does. So having a really detailed place that you can log those cooks, um, it, that's if you're getting super detailed to change one thing at a time. But honestly, like I am 100% the victim of cooking a badass recipe and being like, I'll remember what I put in that rub or that mop or that dressing and you never do. So, yeah. and you'll, I've lost, I've lost the world's best chocolate chip cookie recipe that way and I'll never do it again. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure we've lost like several um, rubs to maybe possibly drinking a little too many Coors Lights or maybe Lone Stars and you wake up the next morning and <laughs> dang, I didn't write anything down. Yeah, for sure. Right. It, and it stings, man. Have you, have you done, um, I know you're definitely, you know, in, in the cooking world and I've, I've seen even, even cooking on, on live fire on or on coals, which I've never done that. Um, is, is that like, I'm not even sure how you even like, I know you, I know you can just rake your coals out. I know you can just lay your meat over top of it. I, I don't, I don't, this is, this is mind boggling to me. Cause I don't know. I'm like, is this going to hurt my meat? Is this going to, I'm not ruining a, a $75 tomahawk by doing this, but I totally want to try a tomahawk on the coals. So, like, what am I going to do wrong here? What, what am I going to do right? It, it's a little bit. It's a little bit beer can chicken. Um, you can cook it directly onto the coals. It's called caveman style. Uh, it it is better. It's better to cook over a grate. You have more control. But it's just one of those things. It's fun to try once and give it give it a shot. It's it doesn't. It's not detrimental in any way. It's more just the even heat of the cooking. But the biggest mistake people make when they do that is obviously the best thing to keep coals and fire alive is air. So when you're smacking a tomahawk over these coals, the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to kill the coals that are immediately touching the meat. So when you go to flip it, you actually want to flip it onto a fresh section, not the section that you were just on because those coals will be kind of dead. Okay. That makes sense. And I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not putting a tomahawk on that. I might do some ribeyes, but I'm not doing a tomahawk now. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Do a sirloin steak. <laughs> That's like my most underrated steaks. I cannot agree more on that one as yeah. well. I feel like we're agreeing a lot. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so before we uh, we let you go or anything like that, I mentioned that we like to talk about a barbecue fail. Did you happen to think of one? I know you don't fail very often, but I, I I have my fair share. But honestly, like I feel like I've purposefully removed them from memory because of trauma, because of embarrassment, um, you know, all, all of that. <laughs> All that good stuff. Um, I'm sure I've melted and burned a, a, a few things in my time, and luckily, I haven't. I haven't. I think the most embarrassing thing for me, which is not a huge fail, but it is, but it isn't. It would be like I was pretty far into my career. Like I definitely should have known better, and I was temping chicken wings, grilling chicken wings, and I should have known that I tempt them incorrectly because they're so it's so easy to push that probe like onto the bone or to get to push through onto the grill and I thought my temp was there and they had great color on the outside and had been on the grill for a reasonably long time 
And there were so many on the grill that I couldn't keep track of them. I was just kind of tossing them around and hoping for the best. And uh, someone bit into one and it was like completely raw in the middle. And I was like, oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. That's You're like, that was did you survive? <laughs> yeah. It survived <laughs> Tale. but you know i mean that's terrible that's a terrible terrible thing to happen um what are, what are, especially when you're like oh I've, i'm all over this i've got it but i don't got it <laughs> so what, what about uh what about barbecue wins so we, on the podcast we always talk about kind of barbecue wins barbecue fails the fails it's really for more uh, of us and the people listening to kind of learn from our mistakes because we all make mistakes and, and then but we really love the the barbecue wins i mean uh and Obviously, you've been winning at the 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 seasoning game because I mean it's it, it's quite successful. Hopefully, we can we can bring a little bit more um, uh, support for you for the the community and the barbecue community, and to have these guys go ahead and sit there and let these people know that actually we're using hardcore carnivore. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Checks in the mail. Yep. Um, <laughs> I. Oh man, uh, gosh, the win, you know, I, th- I feel like tri-tip is one of my biggest wins and I, I, I feel there's not many times I'll puff my chest out and, and be boastful, but I started doing tri-tip at like demonstrations and events, obviously notwithstanding that tri-tip in California has been around for a long, long time, but they cook it like brisket. They cook it low and slow. I cook my tri-tip to medium rare. And I started doing it at showcase events and and catering gigs and um, you know deals that I was I was doing. And it's one of the best ways you can showcase the black rub because the tri tip will cook to medium smoke to medium rare in about an hour, and that's not enough time to get a deep bark on it. So the rub comes in handy, and then because it's so beautifully pink and medium rare, you get that gorgeous contrast. And I have seen more people use black on tri-tip, um, particularly in the last year or two. I, I, I've, you know, I've been doing it for the better part of four or five years now, um, and I feel like that's a win. I feel like I feel like it's not completely out of sorts to say that I had a hand in the rege- in the resurgence of cooking, smoking a tri-tip to medium rare. I feel like that's my little win in in the culinary world. I, I absolutely love that. Uh, John um, kind of introduced us to Tri Tip. Um, he's from California. He, I mean, he got here as quickly as, quick as, as could, he could. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so he introduced us to this Tri Tip, and I, I think one day I was like just going through our grocery um, supermarket, and and I happened I was in the meat meat aisle, and I'm thumbing through, and I see Tri Tip. What is a Tri Tip? I mean, I kind of seen that online a little bit. Let me go ahead and get it so i actually first time i ever got one of those i cooked it kind of like a brisket i think i went to like 200 degrees on that thing <laughs> and i cut into it and i was like wow i mean it's got a nice smoke ring i mean it kind of looks good flavor was good but i was like wow this is just super tough and chewy i mean i'm not really sure what's going on here why are people and then i started doing a little bit more research and then john's like i know you you have to cook them to a you know, a medium rare, right. right? More like a steak. More like a steak. I was like, okay. So, and then he busted it out for us. I was like, okay, game changer. There we go. So wait, John, would you say, because from everything that I know about Santa Maria style, I do know some people do cook it as a steak, but I know that 
a lot, but the, when they do smoke it in California, they smoke it all the way to well done, like past well done. Is it different? At, le- at, le- at least when experience? I was, yeah, in my experience, I grew up in Northern California, which I don't know, maybe it's different up there. We would do almost like your reverse sear. We would have it, you know, off the heat till it got to a certain temperature and then sear it up the last little bit there. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, I mean, and that is, I guess, truly a steak from where I'd seen it just smoke to all get out. So, um, the, I guess the, the nice part is that at the end of the day, whoever's eating it is the real winner, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we're in Texas. We're eating barbecue. I mean, yeah, we're all winning on this one, I guess. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Hey, we definitely appreciate you coming on the show, talking a little barbecue with us. Um, is there anything that, uh, how about let the people know where they can get a hold of you? I know we're kind of like, a, you do a lot of live shows, uh, live events, and um, uh, do you have anything coming up? Or, or just let the people know uh, how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, sure. Um, I have, obviously, my website is jessprials.com, and there's lots of info and content there. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I think there's a big age of influencers now where there's a lot of folks that have come up on Instagram and they don't necessarily have a website. And I get so many people being like, Hey, do you have this? Or how do you do this? I'm like, have you checked my website? Have you checked my website? Like right. 95% <laughs> of the time I'll already have a recipe for it. And of course, then there's hardcorecarnivore.com, which also has its own recipes, which is where you can get the seasoning and check out the merch and the logbook. And then both of us being hardcore carnivore are on all of the social medias. And I do, um, I do have to do, I've got a Facebook live that I want to do soon, but I release a video, a new video every week on YouTube, Facebook, IGTV. So if you're on any of those, you'll find it. Um, I'm pretty, I try and be out there. So, Are you on TikTok? It's P. Elias. <laughs> oh God, I'm on there and I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> you feel old. Uh, same. Um, are y'all on there? Are you are you doing it? Uh, we are on there. We we don't do it well. No, we. I think <laughs> I think what John meant to say he's pleading the fifth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Noted. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I mean, we can't wait to see what's next in store for Jess Prowls and and Hardcore Carnivore. I mean, we're definitely uh, anxious to see maybe a new rub coming out or maybe uh, going uh, and attending one of these live events when everything gets opened back up and everybody's good. Yeah. Well, thank y'all so much. This was really super fun. Appreciate it, Jess. Thank you. Thank you so much. You Huge bet. fans, by the way. Thank you. That's awesome. I have to say, I, I gave one of your t-shirts uh, to my stepkid and he was beyond excited because he's like, this is just like back to the future. I'm like, yes. enjoy. That's right. <laughs> so, That's right. There. They're fans of you all around this these parts too. So thank you again. I appreciate it. Awesome. Appreciate awesome. it. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Okay. I I'm I'm gonna say I don't know, I'm not sure that was our best interview we've ever done or or whatever. Like you say that every day. <laughs> I feel like uh, the amount of knowledge she brought to our podcast tonight yeah, was that, amazing. That's what I was gonna say. I mean, we've had a lot of guests on here. She was so freaking smart. She was super knowledgeable about what's going on. Um, I, I love the fact that she was like how it was almost like she was giving away a little bit too much information, right? I, how in depth you really want me to go on this, right? 
Right. And like she didn't want to talk over her head, but damn, she did. She she did. She killed bit. it. Yeah. She, she killed good. it. I, I feel super honored to have her on. I feel like. I feel like I'm not saying we're arriving or anything. We're some low-key podcast that does our shit. But at the same time, hey, pretty nice. Yeah, she was awesome. Super friendly. Uh, probably the best accent in the business. Yeah, 100%. Definitely. Mm. She's she, 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 did you see how many y'all she put in there? Oh, I yeah. don't think y'alls yeah, yeah. are from nah, yeah, yeah. Australia. She, no, I was talking about her Texas accent. I wasn't talking about okay. her Australian okay. accent. Nice. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, she's killing it with rubs. And for the people out there, highly recommend. Check out the website, jessprowls.com. Check out the website, hardcorecarnivore.com. She's killing it in the rubs. I mean, some of the stuff out there that, that people are using in, in competition world, and they're having success with it. Um, but if you're just cooking in your backyard... These rubs are super oh, good. Amazing. Game changer. Yeah, definitely. And check it out for yourself. And she has a ton of videos that you can access via her website or just go to a YouTube channel. She has a ton of videos that are like how-to guides on spatchcocking a turkey. Yeah, and, and her guides are not like she doesn't talk over your head like some of them do. Like you can understand what she's telling you to do. Super easy, step-by-step. Step. Yes. It's awesome. Uh, she's got uh, um, barbecue tips and tricks. She's got um, freaking meat info. Like if you want to get down to the meat science of the steaks or some of the well, they other, heard it. They heard it. They, they heard they, it. All. They, they so, know. Yeah. They know. She's yeah. Awesome. We appreciate her being on. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, obviously, Jess. Obviously, we'll we'll try to catch up with her later on down the road when once the COVID and everything kind of like eases up a little bit. Uh, hopefully. And hopefully we can catch her doing some live demos because I'd really like to to experience that and see that. Yeah, I I, I think somebody see somebody passionate about about what they're doing, right? So I mean, we we've been super passionate about barbecue and and the art of barbecue and everything else, and then get somebody on that's just as passionate or if not more passionate about it. You're like, I love this. Like mm-hmm. I soak everything up, right? So uh, super awesome interview, and again, I feel like we we're just. Maybe a little bit of luck, right? So who knows? Hopefully next time she doesn't. She's like, I'm never going on that podcast again. <laughs> Hopefully she's like, you know what? Those guys were awesome. Yeah, I'll go on that again. So hey, love it. Yeah, as Alden alluded to earlier, grabmanthebrisket.com. Check out the website. I mean, you can find all the links to the podcast to listen, and you can find all the links to the 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 YouTube channel and see all the videos that we put out there, including that lamb rib video, including the lamb video. That we did, uh, that we learned from Jess ourselves. I mean, our, we ourselves are learning just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you guys are learning along. So, hey, we appreciate the listen. Thank you guys. Tune into the next episodes. Yeah, we got more more big names install, uh, in store for you. Yeah. Peace. Peace out, guys. Later, guys. See ya. Just grab them in the brisket. <laughs>